Welcome back. Well. 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 Well, welcome back on the podcast again. Even though we just literally recorded the last one that you were in. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're on a... Oh, you're on a totally, completely separate day. Totally. Totally. Welcome back to Worldwide Weird. Uh, If it's your first time listening, welcome. My name is Linda. That's Stuart. Um, Every few weeks we have different hosts here and there, but generally always stuck with me. Unfortunately. That pretty much sums it up. And we talk about... A pretty big deal around here. Strange things. Do you reckon you are? Well, I think so. In your gated community. Leave my gated community alone. <laughs> no, I don't have any choice, Stuart. It's gated. <laughs> <laughs> um, any crack in the past half an hour? Yes, I moved my expertise from photography because I'm a renaissance man and have many, many talents. Uh, I am now <laughs> going... <There> of none. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it now. I'm on, I'm on give me the side of treatment for the rest of the podcast that's alright uh, that might give me a fucking chance to get a word in edgeways right, than one you know only missing doesn't make a difference there oh oh okay yeah. Rocky you make shit tea I'm putting more sugar in this you I, I put the amount you told me to put in it give me what I want that's not fucking tea that's a glass of water and a milk you don't even let the tea set in it it's not even this uh, fucking the perfect cup of tea is the same colour as He-Man. I've told you this. You leave the tea bag in. And look at that. He-Man. Right? Look at that. It's fucking Casper, the not-so-friendly cup of tea there. Do you know? Shot beyond words. Yeah. Me too, one. Me too. <laughs> Let me just point this cup of tea out to you. We'll call it Exhibit A. That's Bucket uh, of Slop. Tea, well, I agree. Tea is a fucking stretch for what you drink. It's milk and sugar with a bit of water, like. I need my strength to be dealing with you. So do I. That's why I leave the fucking tea wagon. I need to turn into my man to drink this cup of tea and deal with you. What, you're fucking calling me on I a building site, thinking you're a gaffer? Oh, yeah, yeah. 20 fucking major in the pocket. <laughs> cup of tea with the tea wag still in, in the other hand. <laughs> You're making a balls of that, son. Ah, oh, Jesus, son. That's not how I do that, pal, there now, hon. There's a whippersnapper. <laughs> 15 pounds, 12 pounds. <laughs> All right, that's enough of the inside jokes. Today we're going to talk about, uh, well, we were going to talk about Irish mythology, and I did a lot of research for it, but uh, Stuart decided to be a bollocks, and we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're going to talk about vampires, which is kind of cooler. Yeah, well, we, we took the Irish mythology thing and we said we'd look at the Irish edition of the vampire and we'd have a look at that compared to maybe what Bram Stoker did with it and we'll have a look at kind of something that I would be quite interested in, which is uh, European traditions uh, around vampires. Sound? Could I start us off? Uh, yes. Because then I get to kind of, I don't know, this is really nice. I like doing podcasts with you because then I just get to... I, I, I only have to talk a little bit and then I just get to sit back and drink my really, really, really nicely made cup of tea and listen to you talk shy for half so, an hour. And I get to drink this slop and talk shy for a half an hour. <laughs> Alright, the Irish vampire is also known as, and apologies to anyone. No, actually, Mara. before we go any further, just if you have any, can leave a comment. Do you think that A, Linda makes nice tea? It's true, that's not tea. That's or not B, tea. does she make a cup of slop? Do, but you drink slop. Do you know what? In Ireland, 
Just an insult saying you're all home. shit joints. Do you want me to tea you're bag you? are all home? shit joints. Do you want me to tea bag you? But you also home? make shit tea. I'll tea bag you if you want. Anyway, roll on there. In the 5th century, there was an evil chieftain known as the Abertok, which is Irish for the word dwarf. He was reportedly small or dwarf-like and was known to practice the dark arts. It sounds like he had a bit of small dog syndrome, didn't he? <laughs> he wasn't... I I'm kind of liking that this lad, though. He's a very interesting like. <laughs> he is interesting. He wasn't popular due to him being a bit of a bollocks. <laughs> he thought his missus was having an affair and he tried to catch her out in the act. He climbed out the bedroom window of his castle to try and spy on her. However, he slipped and fell to his death. Shit buzz. Shit buzz. Kind of deserved it, though. Did he, though? Was she actually having an affair? She might have been. She might have been getting a, a bit short with her on the regular. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, really short <laughs> change. He goes climbing out a window. <laughs> no wonder he's so fucking full of piss and vinegar. His thoughts are going back onto Tinder is killing him. I know. Short guys need not apply. Short especially, guys do not do well on Tinder. Especially honey. like he's not selling the personality at the end of it either. Like. I mean, he sounds like a bit of a bollocks. He's literally described as being a bit of a bollocks. Anyway, the next day his body was found because his missus was too busy riding to go out and have a look that night to make sure he was okay, you know? Shit and, was um, also. Didn't really even notice that he never came home from the pub that night, you know? Anyway, people were delighted he died and they buried him standing upright, which was a tradition that befitted the chieftains. To the clan's horror, the Abertok had returned to the village the very next morning. He told the villagers that they needed to provide him with fresh blood from their cut wrists for him to drink. And they did so because they were scared of him. So that sounds like a landlord. He sounds a bit like Leo, doesn't he? Really anyway, does. let's not go there. So the villagers begged the nearest village's chieftain, Cahan, or Cahan. Cahan? Cahan? I don't know. Some lad. We'll call him Cahal. Alright, because I, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Fair enough. <laughs> so he went to, they went to Cahill and they were like, come here Cahill, this lad's been a bit of a bollocks. You wouldn't do us a favour and just like go down there and kill him because we thought he was dead, but it's actually a bit awkward. He's actually not. And we were all really fucking happy about him being dead and we're a bit embarrassed because we don't know if he saw that. It was probably the equivalent of sending a text message to, to someone that you're giving out about. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Or being caught talking smack behind someone's back when they walk into the room. Why are you looking at me like that? Have I done that to you? No, but now you have me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm probably trying to remember. Because it definitely sounds like something I get caught doing. <laughs> I just try to remember over the past 20 years if you've caught me doing it. So they were like, come here, Cahill, you wouldn't come kill this guy. So he did, right? And he died for the second time. Again, they buried him upright. At this point, they thought, you know, that's the last we've seen of that gobshite. But no, next morning, he shows up with a bowl again, fucking begging for the blood, right? So Cahill killed him again and buried him. But like a bad dose of the crabs, he was back again the next morning asking people for their blood. Cahill had run out of ideas. So he turned to a local saint for help. Now, I know I'm a saint, but I wasn't actually around back then. So it's not me. Right. Just wanted to make that clear to you. I love the way, like, in all these tales, it's always, they're absolutely fucked. 
until a saint rolls up and smashes someone's kite in for them. Or a priest. Or a priest, yeah. It's always a saint or a priest, yeah. Or a holy man of some description. Fucking taking care of business and taking names. Nah, that's it. There I am in the woods, praying, leading a secluded life. Someone comes to me and says, look, there's a vampire terrorising a fellow. Can you go down there and stitch him a loaf? Boom. Down with the Bible in one hand, loaf in the other. Bang. Out he goes. In fairness, if you give someone a smack of a Bible, they know all about it, though. True story. Especially if it was like the Old and the New Testament combined. Right, that's a lot of weight there. It's fucking brick, like, do you know what I mean? Also, as well, if you read it out to someone, if you just sat there and read the Bible to them front to back, they'd just die of boredom. Yeah, true story. So, the saint advised that as the Abertok was actually already dead, there was no way to kill him again. The only way to kill him was to stab his heart with a sword made from yew tree, bury him upside down, and cover the grave with ash branches and thorns, and then place a heavy stone slab on top of the grave. A lot of work. Your man Cockle's standing there going, I'm fucking sign up for this, but alright, fair enough. I mean, it's fucking been. Do you know what that is? I mean, it's That's your one mate that asked you to do something small. Any yeah. chance you can drop me up to Lidl? And then before you know it, you're coming back with trumpets and all sorts, and then you have to go That's to it. Ikea. That's it. Right, any chance you could help me move house? Yeah, no bother. You get there, they haven't even started packing. It turns out they don't even have boxes yet. Don't even have a house with an apartment organised. <laughs> yeah, I need you to help me pack these boxes and let me sleep on your couch for the next six three weeks. days slash six months. Cahill followed the instructions and buried the evil dwarf once and for all. And that was the end of the cunt. And people say that Bram Stoker took inspiration from this legend for Dracula. To be fair now to old Bram Stoker, you know, he kind of ripped off everyone. I was just about to say, but you're probably going to tell me a story about somewhere in Europe where people say that Bram Stoker took oh, this yeah. as the inspiration yeah. as well. So just even a couple of the kings that we see commonly there, which is... So the really weird thing that kind of turns up in... So before we even talk about Bram Stoker, uh, we could have a, a chat about some of the common themes there, which is you'll notice that he's... First off, he's a dwarf and he's hated. And then he dies suddenly and unexpectedly. Right? And then the third part is... Also while being a bollocks to well, his missus. That's it. In the act of being a bastard. Right? Uh, and what you would refer to as a bad death. You know, someone who didn't die peacefully or full of piss and vinegar when they were dying. And then you look at them. He comes back and he terrorizes the living. He's not dead. And they don't refer to him as being dead. They talk about him being undead. They don't talk about him coming back to the wife, though, which makes me think that she probably wasn't having an affair, and he was pretty embarrassed about that as well. That was going to be silent treatment, I which mean, I don't need no no woman, hun, you know? Yeah, fuck you, hun. Hmm. Then the idea of coming for blood, their blood. i got to say, I, do, I don't know why, right? And this is going to sound really bad. But for some reason, and for reasons I cannot explain, I really like that part of the story. I like the way they thought he was dead and he come back holding a fucking ball gun. Give me your blood. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's something really cunty about it or something <laughs> like, you know? It's All the money. Shitty deal, <laughs> All like. the money in the bag. I'll be back yeah. tomorrow. I want more money. He walks into a room and it goes silent and they're like, fuck. Fuck, he totally knows we were talking about him earlier. He fucking thought the cunt was dead. You know, we heard his calling him a short arse. Now it's really awkward. You know, we're all talking about how his wife's probably just as well better off that he was dead, bit of a bollocks. 
now all of a sudden he banging shows his dwarf up. brother I'd say now he just shows up and we're like how long have you been standing there for and uh, what's with the bowl you know what I mean <laughs> fucking awkward give Cahill a ring there get him to come down Fair and sort this lad out yeah but even like you look down there's something that we call atrotropaic or atrotropaics which is preparations of the dead to prevent something and they weren't able to actually put him into the ground or keep him there until they went through these atrotropaic rituals which is the you or the stake through the heart. And remember, you was sacred to the Druids at the time as well. Okay. And then it was, I believe, Blackthorn and Ash was also considered sacred to the Druids. Okay. And it's not about stopping or reversing him being a vampire. It's about keeping him in the fucking ground. Yeah, it's not even about killing him. He's and then you actually head. look at the physical thing of rolling a boulder over. It was the idea of just pinning him to the ground more than anything else. And then the idea that only a holy man knows how to kind of put him back in his box. Yeah, and the fact that he was... Um, now, you see you see a lot of that in Irish legends. Well. Is, you know, kind of pagan Ireland and all of a sudden Christianity coming to the rescue. So that you can definitely see where Bram Stoker took some of those ideas. And a lot of the mm. ideas that we have, the modern idea of the vampire comes from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, the idea that he can yeah. change form, influence weak mind, it can only appear in the dark. Is not dead, but undead. It can be seductive, you know. Um, yeah, the romantic sort of side of it. But also, even the first one is that he dies because he's maligned in life. So if you look at kind of the way, like if we look at kind of actual vampire myth and folklore in Europe, and you know me, I've been to Transylvania many, many times, but the original vampire that we see making a first appearance documented as in some of the burial rituals around them appear i think in cyprus first off oh it's either crete or it's cyprus i think it's cyprus and greece was the hotbed and if you look at being a vampire you know how it came about was you had a predisposition you, you weren't created a vampire but you had a predisposition of becoming a vampire uh, a vampire depending on your debt yeah, like so the if you, darkness that's around the, the death. It's usually yeah. really romantic. So, and... first one was, in life, you had a predisposition towards becoming a vampire. So you didn't have to be bitten or anything like that. You could just die one day and wake up a vampire. Just like El Cajal there, you know? Or what is the name? The dwarf lad, uh, Amarak. The Avertok. The Avertok. Yeah. Um, uh, Anorak, did you call him? Amarak. I thought you called him El Anorak. El Anorak there. It's just doing like... Oh, he doesn't care. He's anyway. dead. <laughs> Now, as well, um, when we're talking about the parallels and stuff like that, and the way he was buried, I wonder, you know the way he says they buried him upside down? Did they bury him upside down so that his head and his heart were closer to hell than they were to the earth, do you think? Like it was some, some religious aspect, something to do with hell and the devil. Actually, do you know what? That's a great question. And for, based on what I've read and kind of research that I've done, I'd answer that. Which is, if you look at, so we were talking about his atropaics before, right. and and it was ideas, preparations that you took around the ritual, uh, the debt, to stop somebody coming back as a vampire or a reverend. Okay. Okay. And a lot of these rituals, so, so we take the one, the stake in the heart kills a vampire. Yeah. Now, when we see that, we get this kind of hammy 1970s uh, vampire kind of BBC production of a stake being six inches long and they're hammering it into a vampire's chest. In reality, these stakes were five, six foot high. 
made out of hardened uh hardened hardened woods fire hardened wood uh, or iron rods and literally it wasn't about killing the vampire it was a real practical solution this fucker is getting up out of his coffin in the middle of the night and terrifying the place i need to make sure he can't move so how do i do that i've got a genius plan we'll drive a fucking six foot stake through his chest and nail him to the ground problem solved yeah, the fucker can't stand doing, he can't it? get out of his coffin it's not like Buffy the Vampire Slayer with the MDF fucking stakes do you know what I mean that look like they're they look like you you know pick them up and snap them in half with your hands yeah. like, no these these things were you know literally a fence post through the chest and the idea was you weren't curing him of becoming a vampire you were preventing the fucker getting out of his grave at night well it's very much so with the Abertock as well because like you were saying like they literally just they put the stone slab on top of them and stuff uh, and they were making sure he didn't get back out. out oh yeah real practical yeah. hands on ways of keeping uh, keeping someone in the ground look he can be a vampire all he wants to be I'm just not dealing with him <laughs> and if you bury somebody upside down how is he going to get fucking out of that no, I know. I wonder if the ants do it like as well though. The upside down crosses and things like that. I, as well. I, look, there's, there's a lot of symbolism, symbolism in this which might be inverting his intent. So like, if his intent is to go up by inverting the body, it means that his intent now. And you see a lot of this in kind of medieval to, kind of thinking. To, to, and make thinking. Him, to, to give this um, air of evil about him nearly. You know, like he was so bad, we had to bury him upside down. I think, yeah, but I also think that in our modern kind of minds, we play more on that. I think there's much more kind of practicalities going on here than anything mm -hmm. else, which is simply, you know, his intent is to get up. So we turn him upside down. His intent now is to stay down. And you see this a lot, of, even in the likes of tarot cards, an inverted card changes the meaning that's right yeah some people believe in them as well and some people don't some people are really superstitious of them oh but even if you take the fool card in the tarot deck and you throw it out if it's depending on which way you're doing it and which way you want to set it up if it comes out right way up it means to be light-hearted carefree on the other hand it means to be foolish and naive easily led yeah it's it's itchy the yeah, the ten intent is reversed, isn't it? Basically, mm. it's the opposite. It becomes the card becomes the opposite so of what its actual face value is. So you, I think you see a lot of this running through kind of folklore in general. But even if you look at other atropaics that are very very practical, which is tying shoelaces together, and this is a practice still done in a lot of cultures where traditionally, particularly Slavic cultures, as far as I know, uh, in some of the more old school remote places, they still bury people with their shoelaces tied together. So, you know, they physically so can't so they up. can laugh at them while they're dead, sort of things like, ah, oh, look at him, he doesn't know his shoelaces uh, are tied. Well, in the kind of more vampire myths, it's not for the crack it's not for the crack but no. it's also you know it, there's other kind of ideas behind this like so the spirit won't wander okay that makes sense yeah uh, binded hands were another one you know there's there's many many different kind of incarnations and you know to say oh this only happens in Transylvania or this only happens in Moldova no, or only in Greece it, you're it, looking it at it goes back to like the uh, foot binding days in Japan remember they used to bind women they, they used to bind women's feet so that they couldn't actually leave their husbands and I say a lot of it even originates from there but as well. you know it's fascinating that every culture on the planet only has two things in common which is dragons and vampires 
Every culture probably has their own vampire. It has their own vampire or their own dragon. And apparently it's the only two that they know of that run across all cultures. And you look, though, other things that could make you a vampire in life was having redheads. Having red hair, like, even the redheads don't get a fucking break. Gingers don't even get a break today. Like, you know, they're... Like between the Egyptians burning them as demons. In fairness, though, right? And I don't mean this in a nasty way, but that does kind of make sense that they were that way. Because nowadays, you ever see kids in school, they're such dickheads, you know, and the ginger, the poor ginger kid is in the class. They always get picked on. The kids don't even know why they're picking on them. Oh, it's no. They're marked out as different. and They're marked out as different, and then there's a bandwagon effect. Yeah. They all jump on it. And so I, so I suppose it was no different back then. They needed a scapegoat. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, but anything that marked you out is different. Yeah. Uh, so having red hair, being ill-tempered, being a drunk, dying of suicide, dying a sudden death like a stroke, dying of instantly of a heart attack, all these what they considered unnatural deaths, you know, that were hard yeah. to explain why somebody dropped dead. Dying mid-fight with somebody or in a bitter dispute with somebody brought you back and we see this kind of we see this idea that this is what causes it and the, the one thing that this you see unfinished business th- this is it and apparently what you get then is just a huge fascination around shoes the vampires come back banging down doors looking for their shoes like the drinking blood thing isn't a huge one actually what they're looking for most of the time is wine and food to be left out for them and when they come back, they harass and they bang on the doors. This is the other thing, which is they don't come in and... Or the big big one that you see is strangulation. They, they're kicking in doors trying to strangle you as opposed to drink your blood. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then at the cock crow, they re- return to their grave. They're compelled to return um, to their grave. Can I ask you, the food thing... Because, you know, like in our popular culture now, what we do in the shadows, why like all these, you know, newer vampire things... I read a great book actually called The Radleys by Matt Haig about a family of vampires that are trying to blend in a middle class society in England. But then you've that anyway and then you've true blood and they all tell the same thing. The vampires can't eat food, that it only makes them sick, that all they can have is literally blood. Every now and then you see them drinking wine. It's always red wine to make it more romantic, I guess. But... Yeah, oh, when that's did a, the whole food thing, like, how, when did that start? I think what it is is, you know, Have the I food and the wine is much more about hospitality. Okay. And you look at these people, they died in disputes with their wives, they died in disputes with brothers and stuff, and that's the person they come back to haunt, the person they come back to attack, had done them some disservice. So I think the idea of leaving them out, food and wine, made them a guest Offered them the hospitality and the idea, you know, the courtesies that you yeah. didn't give them in life. But then, like, you take blood in general, right? What There's nothing more symbolic in human nature than blood. No. All the way from Freud to Satanism, you name it, blood features absolutely heavily. Absolutely. Uh, Shakespeare is constantly waffling on about blood, blood memory, blood race, you know, and blood is a metaphor. And blood is life. Yeah. And they're going after the very life of the person. You know it's what I mean? Taking someone's and more, it's dra- literally that draining them. And the big one in kind of Celtic cultures, I think, was hair. Believe it or not, um, and we even see this in kind of more biblical things of cutting hair. If you could get hold of somebody's comb in kind of Nordic and Gaelic cultures, it gave you great power over them. 
because it was such a personal item. I've heard that actually, yeah. So it's anything that's a personal nature, anything that draws down blood. And they're so complex that every, like Germanic vampires, Slavic vampires, Grecian vampires, Chinese vampires, African vampires, Gaelic vampires, Mediterranean vampires, you know, even Nordic vampires, they all have their own little thing. And there are some common tra- tra- traits to it. But yeah. the vast majority of it seems to be, it's how you died. And how care wasn't taken around your funeral at the time. Yeah, how your death was almost, like the Abertoc, his death was celebrated. This is it. People were you're an outcast in society. You're yeah. ill-tempered, you're bad. And this is what makes you a vampire, to come back and wreak vengeance. But also to make sure that your funeral rites are respected. When you, when you see all of this kind of coming together, it does form together a really tight narrative. Now you take Bram Stoker. Originally... And again, it's very hard to get a read on this stuff. You know, you hear an awful lot of urban legends, speculation, talk, and interpretations of what he was doing. So, you know, you often hear that, you know, if you take Dracula, the very name was Dracola, which means bad blood in Irish. Yeah. Okay. And it was set in Sligo. And he went to his publishers and he said, this is a great fucking story. There's only one problem with it. Uh, no one's ever going to believe it took place in Ireland. Do it something far flung. So he went to Trinity College and he started looking up different things. Transylvania, the the land beyond the woods, you know, or the land, yeah, or mountains, or the land beyond the mountains. But um, cold, eerie. Oh yeah, and you know, tra- the nice thing about Transylvania is it's actually such a beautiful, warm place. If you've ever been there, you'd never think, you'd never associate anything negative with it, but. When night falls and some, it's still quite, you know, the parts of it are still quite remote and wild mm-hmm. and rustic. And when night falls, particularly around the autumns and stuff like that, and fog clings to the hills, you know, and those woods, like, they're not like the mountains we have in Ireland. They're very, the Carpathians are very jagged and wild and they shoot up straight up, you know, and it's very, like, to, to cover 10 miles yeah, might take you two hours driving because of how windy the roads are and stuff. So it's geographically isolated, stuff like that. So it made the perfect setting. And back when Bram Stoker wrote it, it was a backwater, you know. Mm. really was this just kind of transitional uh, zone. So it was ideal. And then he came across Vladi and Paler, who was operating in the area. Now, if you talk to the Romanians, particularly during the, um, particularly ter- during the kind of Soviet years, they revered him as a national hero because he was the man who stood up for Christianity, drew a line and drove back the Turks and the Ottomans out of Christendom mm. you know um, so he was seen as a hero and there's only one piece of propaganda that comes from German Saxons merchants at the time and they're like Sebrashoff and I'm not particularly sure which town it was but basically just talk of him impaling people and dipping his bread into the blood and eating it that is the only source we have for any kind of a sanguine or cannibalist acts that he has going on yeah a, a lot of other stuff was just a sheer cruelty yeah, he's known as being just this horrendous, like, warrior kind of... But at the same stage, if you kind of compare him to a lot of other warlords in Europe at the time, he's not exactly, like, top no of the difference. pile. He's, yeah. he's, you know, the difference here is the German merchants that he kind of put through their paces really kind of did him, you know, they got the woodblocks and stuff like that, the woodblock prints and the wood, woodcut prints of him, you know, eating blood and spreading the propaganda. You know, and there's a big part of it that says he was trying to deliberately propagate these myths. Yeah. You know, to keep the Turks out, that they'd be afraid to face them, like, you know. Yeah, they'd be frightened of them. Well, this yeah. is it. And, you know, as Sun Tzu says, you know, you know, if your enemy's fear is half your battle, you know, yeah. 
you'd be surprised like a fear will paralyze someone much easier than physical violence will so you see a lot of this and this is where he set and he borrowed from different things and some stuff he just plain made up you know yeah but it was also like you know if you kind of look at even dracula as a book and you analyze it from three different points of view let's say marxist uh freudian and a feminist critique of it it's such a great book because it focuses so heavy on phallic symbols. It focuses so heavy on blood, on uh, class struggle, uh, class yeah. anxieties and stuff like that. So, you know, it really does go in and out of it a couple of times. But things that, that we see, which is the stake, that's a long borrowed one from that's, Slavic tradition, you know? Yeah, that seems to go all the way back, doesn't it? Though? Oh, oh, yeah. And you can see as a very, very practical measure. Then we see other things like vampires are compulsive and this idea of unfinished business or leaving ideas behind them, you know? The garlic thing, uh, it definitely, there's this thing that uh, vampires don't like strong odours. Yeah. You know, so it's not garlic per se, it's anything that has a pungent scent or anything that's cleansing. It would make sense that they wouldn't like things like food that smells strongly though. Yeah, you know. They don't like food. It's also like, you know, they're digging these guys up. They have no understanding of how the body actually breaks down in debt. So they're seeing, you know, retracting bed nails and thinking the fingernails are still growing. They're seeing uh, blood coming up from the stomach and draining down the lips. They see the blood vessels and capillaries bursting in the cheeks so they're rosy and look well fed. And they don't mm. see swelling and, you know, decomposition. They also talk about a lot of burials finding them in a quote-unquote excited state, you know. But that um, can happen though. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just it, it's just part of decomposition, you know. Yeah. And the teeth being exposed, the fangs, as the gums recede, there's much longer kind of definition on the front insiders and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Do you ever see Ricky Gervais's teeth? He's got like full on fangs. Oh, I find it a bit jarring nearly when I when I see him on TV and stuff, you know. Oh, he's in fucking everything nowadays. Oh yeah, but then there's this whole idea that you know. Like, Bram Stoker associates this stuff with a pact with the devil. And it wasn't really seen like that beforehand. It was seen almost much more as a person. At a, now, when I, you're talking in very broad terms here because, you know, you're, you're cobbling together, you know, areas of a half continent and very rich, vastly different kind of burials and traditions around it. But... It wasn't seen as a pact of the devil. It was seen unfinished business, undead, a restlessness. Yeah. And um, we see the, the silver bullets or the, the steaks or garlic being there. And if it's true, we see an awful lot of that idea coming from cholera, you know. And so... Poor Shex, there would have been different like illnesses and pandemics basically out then you know and this is the other thing which is often an outbreak of plague is associated with the the work of a vampire and to end the plague you must kill the vampire and this is where we get this idea even in the Bram Stoker novels that to kill all the vampires you kill the head vampire yeah yeah Uh, so the idea is all the miasmas and evil that he spreads die when you kill the head vampire same thing to end this plague you kill the vampire and the plague came with the vampire okay and a lot of times we don't use the word vampire we don't see the word vampire really enter the lexicon until much later especially the german word vampire up to that point it normally just roughly translates a lot of the actual early descriptions are in latin 
because they're doctors uh, observing this stuff and they're, they're talking about it, you know? Yeah. So they're talking an awful lot, but most of the time they just refer to it as a reverend, somebody who has come back from the dead. Yeah. Sorry, a reverend, come back from no, the I dead. I know what you mean, yeah. And that's it, you know, and you're, you're t- he's, he's taking something there that is richly and vastly huge. I'm very human nearly as well. Uh, very much fears, honest fears. But you even look at uh, what inspired Dracula. There's so much inspired, quote-unquote, Dracula. And actually, you know, it's gotten an awful lot of traction later in life than it did at its time. You know, it was also semi-scandalous at a time as well. It was a penny dreadful, effectively. Yeah. And um, they say it was when he was in Sligo uh, during the famine, he... Uh, seen a cholera outbreak. I don't think it was during the famine. It was in just post-famine after the years. Mm. And out of the cholera pits came people who were, back then, used to be buried alive. You know, basically married to the nose and if it wasn't enough of a day, in you went. Like, if you, if you weren't dead, you were dying anyway. Actually, a terrible story about right. that. My, my mother told me that my grandfather moved a famine graveyard once and uh, oh, the amount God. of scratches they found on the inside of the lids, on the coffins and stuff. Oh my god, that's fucking horrendous. But um, yeah, even that aside, right? There's a talk of this kind of plagues and stuff like that, and you look what Dracula meant. It meant bad blood, but bad blood was the word they used for the English landlords at the time in Ireland, who were basically driving the peasants into, yeah. in basically starvation. Yeah. And basically living literally, literally living off making these children people. orphans and stuff but literally living off the backs of these people living off their very sacrifice and parasites. death tile, like like parasites you know and this is you know this is why kind of if you have a kind of marxist analogy of the book you have a field day with it because it's yeah. basically you've got a count who can't be any higher in the royal family still to this day twisting and manipulating the middle classes yeah to do their bidding and maintaining control and if you look at it ultimately the thing that stands in their way constantly are peasants chasing them peasants not doing what they're told there's even even like you know even even the kind of it's like i mean i know we're not talking about that but you can go into such a rabbit hole about it like it's such an easy novel to write about yeah when when you're talking so it's 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 based on that kind of Irish legend, and I remember actually seeing that they found a vampire grave in Ireland. I think it was in Leitrim, where they found three people. I think it was from the same family, with oh. stones jammed into their mouths and their hands tied behind their backs. I think I remember hearing about this. And it was a very yeah. practical thing, which is they're buried face down with their hands behind their back with a stone in their mouth. When you think about it, like literally, if these things are coming back biting causing blood loss blah, blah 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 trying to drain blood trying to attack it's just a real practical way of st- like their jaws broken and the, the stone shoved in mad isn't it you know and you know fear and superstition are very powerful motivators it's particularly when you can't explain it and unexplained deaths and the thing about kind of if you look through history unexplained deaths that aren't related to the individual let's say like you say an individual stroke mm. but let's say uh, a dose of flu a dose of cholera can tear through a community very, oh, very yeah. quickly. And it can also disappear as quick as it appears. Yeah. You know? Um, so you can see how these natural fears become associated with this kind of stuff. And having been to Transylvania and actually having kind of followed Flat Impaler's life and career, and even I've been to, in the place he's born, which is a 
there's a place called Sigasora in um, Transylvania. Yeah. And it's now a coffee shop. So I had coffee in the place he was born. That's kind of fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I like my coffee strong. Um, Apparently. You know, and I've been in the, you know, uh, the Bucharest Labyrinths and stuff like that. Sorry, the Budapest ladder Labyrinths where he was held prisoner. Uh, you know, I've seen so many places associated with his life. If you actually read his life story, uh, it's an incredible, incredible yeah. kind of story. Like, I mean, the man was brutalized. And as an effect, he was brutal. And he was nasty in every way. He was the product of his upbringing. Uh, product of his time. Product yeah. of exactly what he was like, you know. And um, even how he got the name Dracula, which was his father was inducted into the Order of the Dracul, the Order of the Dragon. Okay, and that was a Christian brigade that stood like knighthood of the garter knighthood of the garter i think it's called as well you have it in britain that kind of thing where it was mm. an elite kind of force where you're recognized for the services of christendom and he was the son of dracul which made the prefix dracula okay yeah I get and that. that's that's where the word actually comes from so that's where we get the idea of vlad the impaler being the basis yeah for dracula i've heard him compare to him but that, a, a lot of times, like heavily. It's also like his preferred on. method was uh, impaling. Yeah. You know, you don't get a name like Flatty Impaler because you're all about, you know, giving people a break. Like, you never hear vampires impaling other vampires, though, as well, you know? It's, it's also like, how does a vampire die? They're impaled effectively through the chest. That's what I mean. So and it's also, weird. If I he was a vampire, think about what the fangs like, do. Yeah. They're impaling somebody, they're puncturing. You know, I suppose, yeah. And you know, we see the kind of propaganda coming out, and that's where you get that association between Vlad the Impaler and Vlad Dracul. It's just interesting to me because, if anything, he he kind of sounds like someone that would go after vampires rather than an actual vampire. You know, but at the same time, I can yeah, like he was so brutal and stuff as well. I don't, I don't think he was ever accused of being a lot of blood and. But he, again, he wasn't doing anything at the time. Like that place was a hotbed of military activity. Yeah. You know, anybody so was, wearing cowboy boots, can't you? I, I think I can't remember top it was of my head. Probably just the actual but, uh, brutal. I, I do way actually believe he, there was. He was detoned two or three times. His brother was put in the throne. Him and his brother were held captive in Constantinople. He was held captive in. Um, he was held captive in Bucharest. You know. Um, there's like his life is literally this roller coaster. In a lot of ways, he's a victim of his own circumstance, uh, where he's born and what he's doing. And sounds horrible, yeah. It sounds like he's a tough life. Oh, it was definitely a kill or be killed kind of time, like yeah. But um, I think even the thing then where he was buried to atone for his sins, he had a monastery on an island that he had built because you know he was convinced he was after the life that he led, and you know, christened him at the time were very handy like that, which is. You could do what you want, but on your deathbed, once you kind of recant it, you're doing all right, you know? Um, still a feeling of that as well, like, but nowadays. he's, um, in the monastery where he was apparently buried, when they exhumed his grave in the 20s, I think, they found nothing. Found an empty grave. Now, everyone goes, oh, vampire! But it was more than That's likely... Cool, it was more than likely that, because he was so hated... That they thought someone would disfigure his body, so he's buried in secret somewhere else. I was gonna say, 
say it's weird the way it's so open about where he was and stuff like especially at the time you think they would like you know nowadays when say when someone's on death row and they're executed they they usually don't announce where the person's buried or anything like that you know oh it makes sense you know like you, you see people violent graves and these people would would very much go out but there's no actual connection as Vlad the Impaler being any kind of vampire there's no real kind of he's the son of a devil and blah 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 mm, I think it's just the, it's like you were saying he just had such a, a roller coaster of a life it was just bad thing after gory thing oh after yeah and when thing, you know and when um, uh, Bram Stoker found this guy he was like this lad's ideal this is the guy. This is the guy. If anyone was ever going to be a vampire, twisted evil and sell us all to the devil, this sounds like the lad to do it. Yeah. And he's taking it from a perspective on, you know, that imperialist perspective that anyone beyond the Carpathians are is, is wild and backwater, even right up, you know. And even today, Transylvania in parts is still quite a rustic place. But also, it's also the industrial basin for parts of Romania. So, part, like, Transylvania is a huge elsewhere to land, you know? Yeah. And people forget that it actually has an industrial base where it makes cars and machine parts and you can go for industrial states for miles. And then on the other half, that's it, you know. And also, it's a little bit like the Irish gig when you're over there and you start mentioning vampires. There's a couple of lads have cashed in on it, you know. Come see Flaggy and Paler's, you know. It's like the Irish leprechaun. Exactly. And, you know, there's nothing worse than you hear a load of Americans lashing it out over here. Uh, Just kind of going, oh, where are the leprechauns, you know. And you're kind of like, ugh. Audibly rolling your eyes. It's just like, uh, like I haven't heard it before, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fucking never heard that before. How are we? Call me an alcoholic next. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck's sake. That's interesting. Mm. Thanks for that. Thanks for coming on and doing it. Yeah. Well, I am a giver of nothing. Stuart Kenny, the giver, the photography teacher, the vampire expert. We'll just call it Renaissance Man. We'll chalk it up over that. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm never going to hear the end of this. Okay. Well, thanks very much for coming on. What's the old Instagram handle? Go on and let you have a cheeky plug there. Go on. Let, let me see. My name is <laughs> Stuart Kenny plug. and I'm a photographer. So why don't we put that together? Stuart Kenny Photography. Okay. Ours is worldwide weird for anyone that's interested. Thanks. You should put up that wood block of... Um, that woodblock uh, printing of Fladdy and Paler eating amongst his victims. On Instagram? On Instagram. Okay, I promise. I'll do that. I'll let you root it out for me. You can send it to me. Bit of a giver. Bit of a giver. I oh, know, I'll find it. And I'll, 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 I'll get the Stuart Kenny seal of approval before I post that up on Instagram, you know. Grant, thanks very much for coming on. Pleasure, Thanks always. for listening. Follow us on Worldwide Weird Pod. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Bye. Toodles.